Check. Yeah, there we go. I got That's to gonna be good. turn tables and a microphone. Oh, back. Weird. Underrated, I think, in the in the uh, lexicon. I think so too. Um, it's not a lot of great content, though. No, no, it's not. It's not something that you want to pass down to your children. But as it was as it was going by, it was like solid. Yeah. Alright, here we are. Ready for another charming episode of Icon or Wycon. I'm Andrew Sotomayor. I am CJ LaRoche. And we're here to digest a movie for you, and hopefully you'll have a good time along with the ride whilst we do it. Uh, today's a very important day. I think that having a good time along with the ride as we do it is inevitable. It Really. Because we're so freaking charming. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. I think that's the reason. That's got to be it. Also, we've got we've got a really great film to discuss here today. I'm really excited about about the next uh, hour or so. This is a good one. This is a really really solid movie, and uh, it's a very important movie in the universe as we discuss it. Would you like to introduce the film, CJ? I think I think I would. It's called Chasing Joey Lauren Adams. Is it? No, sorry. It's called Chasing Alyssa. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. That's still, still not, not it. Still not it, man. That's still not, not it. it. That's still not it. It's called... You're chasing her. You, what? What? You're chasing Amy. Just chasing Amy. No, you're. Brilliant. Well done. Well done. I was happy to go along on that journey with you. See? Good times were had. So this is the third installment uh, of the Jersey Trilogy. Uh, by far, yeah, Kevin's the, most mature movie of the three. So far to date, yeah. and I think that I think that you could say so far to date in 2020 as well that it's his most mature film. It's, it's very elegant. Um, I think Quentin Tarantino was the one that said it was a quantum leap for a filmmaker to see the difference from Mallrats to Chasing Amy. And you know, I I stand Mallrats. I truly love that movie. But this is a really uh, well-packaged Hollywood picture, this Chasing Amy. Agreed. And the irony is, is that it's an independent film. It's not a Hollywood film. Miramax was supposed to be the producer on this film. And they told Kevin Smith, we don't want the people that you've written this movie for in mind, with Ben Affleck, Jason Lee, and Joey Lauren Adams. We want, drumroll, John Stewart. David Schwimmer and Drew Barrymore. That is the cast that Miramax said they wanted to make this movie. Kevin Smith said, thanks, but no thanks. We'll go ahead and make this movie with the people that I want, my friends. And if you like it, you can buy it. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Fascinating. Real talk, I wouldn't be mad at that movie. The three of them would have done a good job in these roles. Absolutely. Oh, Drew Barrymore would have been delightful. They, they would have done a good job. As Alyssa Jones. It just wouldn't have the same cool factor. It would have had the 90s slick factor, because all three of them were very hot right now. But uh, it wouldn't have been as cool. You know? Does that make sense? No. Totally. The, the, and the thing that's, that's wonderful about this movie, you know, it's shot in 16, looks like. And uh, there's, there's <laughs> quite a few errors, which I noticed on the rewatch but yeah no it just has that that mid to late 90s feel and these these actors who you know would all go on to you know amazingly successful careers but you can tell that they know each other that they're comfortable with each other and the the chemistry between the three of them is just delightful to watch i can't get over the fact that in a microcosm of maybe 30 minutes i can understand that Holden and Banky have this very treasured, long, bro-y life about them, and that Alyssa creates an interruption, and that there's jealousy between the three of them, but the three of them have fantastic chemistry together. They do great scenes together, and it's so complicated because it's, it's a dynamic where obviously these three individuals like each other very much, but one is encroaching on the other's territory, and that's going to create something. And I think the three of them nail that complex 
super real dynamic. Yes, in a very organic way. So good. It, nothing is forced. You know, these these actors have a clear-cut uh, idea, like you said, of who these characters are and the dramatic tension that comes out of their interaction and their conflict like i said it just happens completely organically and is delightful let's do a hypothetical real quick you ready i'm ready a world where holden does not exist can banky and Alyssa be friends wow sure right Absolutely, absolutely, because they they both come from the same world. They're both comic book writers, in air quotes. You know, as we find out very early in this film, he, Banky might just be a tracer, <laughs> uh, but they do exist in the in the same world. You know, they have a lot in common, and they're both they're both tough. They're both witty. So I think yeah, I think if that that obstacle of Holden was not there, they absolutely would have been homies. You know, the two of them and Hooper would have had an amazing time together. Hooper. Hooper. Can we can we just stop before we start and talk about Dwight Yule's performance as Hooper? We can. Holy, holy moly. The 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 way that he's introduced, the close up on his face, you know, <laughs> the, the, the black militants that he is, is is spouting so eloquently and so beautifully. And then the <laughs> the way that he he you know he he has the argument with the two of them and we, their plants and it's kind of clear that they're plants but you there's a little bit of like oh snap like what exactly has happened here finally Banky stands up and said but isn't that what you all want anyway he pulls out the gun and you're like holy smokes but then the way that once the room is cleared the way that he drops the black militant and becomes Hooper the gay guy. I mean, it's so good. He, so good. He was amazing. The pacing of that scene work with Banky doing his annoying, it's basically his Brody voice, when he's like, what's a Nubian? Like, yeah. yeah. It's hysterical. That's where we get the classic Star Wars rant with... Right away. Right away. Right, away. right out the gate. Not, not wasting any time, Kevin, on this one. What about Lando Calrissian? Yeah, the, that whole thing... Darth Vader. Oh, it's yeah. so good. He really just dives so in good. really deep. And uh, what I think is funny specifically about that moment is that's the minority panel. Right. And Holden is way too into himself to ask why Alyssa's on the minority panel. Sure. The, the, the signs that sure. she's a lesbian are there. Oh, right away. Yeah, and she says, you know, grow a dick or change your skin color, and we'll be on all kinds of panels in the future. Still, he misses it. Still doesn't he get misses it. it. So much of this yeah. movie revolves around him being clueless, honestly. Absolutely, and his name—I mean, we're just—you know—Kevin tells us right away that we're dealing with a catcher of the rye type character, Holden Caulfield. Same thing. Doesn't get it. Doesn't get any of the signs from any of the people that he encounters on his little three-day excursion. You know, so fortunately for Holden McNeil, he doesn't end up in a mental asylum telling us this story later. We kind of see this story as it goes by from his perspective, but you know, his, his, the, the, the parallels to Holden Caulfield, kudos to you, Kevin. So smart. Because it was very, it was very clear and executed perfectly. So smart. Did Alyssa deceive Holden? Yes. She did. Absolutely. No question. Yeah, I have. There were there were a couple. Like I mentioned earlier, there were a couple of mistakes. You know that, that were clearly made in the filmmaking. Mm. Uh, we'll jump ahead to the rain scene where you can see the camera crew walking <laughs> with Ben Affleck as he walks back to his car. It's still a good but scene, also, though. <laughs> it's a great it's still scene. A good scene. Oh my god, it's it's great. My wife was so mad that she ran back to kiss him because she was like, "Oh my god, she's not following through." And I said, "That's love, baby." But anyway, she tells him. I, that's where I lost my virginity and then goes on you know when they're on the swing set and goes on to say nope never had sex with a man never had sex with a man never had sex with a man and you know when, when you find out later about finger cuffs you're thinking that can't be true because she was very candid with him and said I didn't have sex with any man I didn't have sex with any man and then when they're arguing in the parking lot I'm getting so far ahead of myself it's okay when they're arguing in the parking lot and she says 
I wanted you to feel special. Well, you didn't want him to feel special in the swing set because at that point you were just trying to be friends with him. So what was your deal, Alyssa? What, what were you really after? Because she did. She lied to him. He has every right to be upset. Here's my take on that. Tell me. She didn't lie to him. She allowed him to believe a certain thing knowingly. And that is not the same as lying. There is gray area. She actually never says, I never slept with a man. The conversation is about virginity versus penetration. Right. She never genders her partners. She plays the pronoun game. She plays the pronoun game and she always counters with another question. Huh. She never says, I ne- she never says the phrase, I have never before slept with a man. Now she guys the... She doesn't say she that? She doesn't say that. I, that's... That's what she, I gathered. Look at she that. She guides the conversation in a way that you would believe that. And she admits to guiding the conversation in that direction. Oh, wow. So here's my thing about Alyssa. Because Alyssa is sweet, but shady. Yes. And she's attracted to him. And I think at the beginning of the movie, he's a bit of a game for her. Mm, okay. And then he becomes not a game. And Banky's prophecy comes true that he is Holden is ultimately too conservative for a woman like her. Wow. So we've got like a little Alexander Hamilton, Angelica Schuyler thing happening, maybe. I think so. Look at me being topical. Hey. <laughs> so here's the thing. Another subplot that goes along with all of these elements in their relationship is the subplot of selling out versus not selling out. Holden holds his art in such high regard, despite the fact that they draw Blunt Man and Chronic. They draw and write Blunt Man and Chronic, which is a, a popcorn graphic novel read. Sure. Super popular. So they, these are two artists that made their name with something that was personal and real. It's called 37. I forgot the name of their original comic. 37. 37. Yes. Which is great. A great Absolutely. clerk's reference. Absolutely. And one of the one of the wonderful callbacks in this movie. I feel like this movie is a giant payoff for clerks and mall rats. You know, you, there's that, the wonderful scene when they're first talking at the, at the gay bar, not when they're first talking, but when they're talking the second night that they, that they know each other and they go through Caitlin and Julie Dwyer and Eden Prairie or Menlo park. It's just wonderful. And it's for the fans. To experience that. And it, and yeah, they do the things in black and white. Even Brandy Svenning's father yeah. makes an appearance as a character. And what's great, because that tells you that Brandy must have dated Banky before T.S. Sure. Yeah. And when that scene happened and she says, Brandy Svenning, sophomore year, and her father comes in, Andrew, I saw Michael Rucker. Yeah. I know it wasn't Michael Rucker, but I Your saw Your brain him. fills in the he, blank. I knew who it was. Yeah. Oh, so the, the I'm not eating girls out anymore rant? Oh, here we go. Yeah, He just goes on this whole tirade because he's been injured and he's scarred. And he's so smart, it's almost too smart for his own good because he's a, that deadly combination of individual that we're all very familiar with right now that is super intelligent and super closed off to something outside of his scope. Mm-hmm. And so he's fine with Alyssa no being doubt. a lesbian because he needs... Alyssa and Holden to never get together. That's right. All of a sudden he's open to it. He thinks it's super hot. He thinks it's great. Right. When are we ever going to get to see this and not have to pay for it? Oh my God. As Alyssa and, and Jason Lee's real life wife at the time. Yeah. Yeah, At the time are, are making out on the, on the bench there. I gotta, I gotta just stop quickly and talk about when Alyssa and, Banky start going back and forth about their oral sex scars. Straight callback to the Jaws scene, because we know Kevin Smith loves Jaws, where Quint and Hooper are comparing their scars. Absolutely. Yeah, he's so good. But anyway, that scene of the two of them talking about it, you watch it with the with chasing Amy in your brain. I strongly suggest to the 17 listeners to really go back and watch that scene with Banky and Alyssa in your mind, and it'll It'll just experience it in a whole new way. Fun fact about that scene. 
that scene was written and cut from the Mallrats shooting script. Oh. Which begs the question, was that a scene for Gwen and Brody before the bef- oh. before the where do you put your arm when you're sleeping rant? Right. When they're sparring and going right, back and because... forth about different things. And I have a feeling, yeah. because he saved the scene, I have a feeling it was Jason Lee and Joey Lauren Adams that was the deciding factor in resurrecting that scene because they probably did a great job at the Mallrats table read. Oh, yeah. And he's like, it's actually really fucking funny. And so he just moved it yeah. and like put in a couple more View Askew Universe elements to make it relevant to Chasing Amy. But it was written for Mallrats and it doesn't play like a T.S. Brody banter. It plays like a Gwen Brody banter. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. And this character, Alyssa, was supposed to be Gwen, but there was some copyright issues, right? Yep. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Oh, so good. So here's the thing. Hot take. Hot take. (laughs) Holden is the embodiment of what your common 90s man thought about homosexuality. Holden. Holden. Not Banky. Not Banky. Thank you for that. Holden. And I'll tell you why. Because it's Holden that gets caught up on the verbiage of if you've never had sex with a member of the opposite sex, you're still a virgin, which is something I heard in high school. Mm. You know what I mean? Silly. It doesn't make sense. And that's the thing. But he's confident in these things. Holden also makes these bold assertions like, I can't get over the fact that you are more sexually experienced than me. Right. Uh, Right. And... And we've all been there. We've all had that, I'm not going to say little minuscule insecurity. I'm going to say that giant basketball-sized insecurity tumor in the back of our brains when we meet someone and we are starting the discussion of, so, tell me a little bit about your past. Yep. It's hard. It's a hard hurdle. And I just feel like in the 90s, there was an uncertainty about all things regarding a sexual spectrum, sexual fluidity. And it's interesting watching this right now because in 2020, we just have a a different understanding of the whole spectrum of things and what elements can be combined to make someone's sexual and gender identity and how it's not gay straight. And the conversation in Chasing Amy is very, well, it's gay or straight. And as a straight man, it is a special thing for me to turn a lesbian straight. And something that I think is so spectacular about this film. And this film, there were people that protested against this film. Because if you look at it Mm. surface-wise, you can look at it as like, oh, it kind of pushes the narrative that all lesbians need is a good man. And what's funny is Brody actually says that. I said Brody, but I mean Banky. Yeah. <laughs> What's the phrase? We'll forgive you. Some good deep dickin' is what he says. Some good some good deep dickin', and that's all that all women need. Nuns, school teachers, prostitutes, doesn't matter. They just need some good deep dickin'. And so Banky says it, but Holden internalizes this. Right? Right. And then he actually makes his conquest. He gets Alyssa. And so he's taking all of this information and he thinks that he did it. He turned her. Yes. And then he didn't. And so it's funny. So I understand the protest about Uh, pushing a narrative that all women need is the right man but really what's spectacular and what got overlooked in being angry about that is it's the first film that really embraces sexual fluidity in the late 90s yes it embraces the fact that she is not just a lesbian and I put just in air quotes she is not just bisexual she she says she's always been searching and she found what she was looking for in Holden, and she accepted that it was a man. Yes, because she came to it on her own terms. No one had ever talked about that. And for Kevin Smith to come around in Chasing Amy and give you Alyssa oh. Jones, who is a complex but not incomplete individual, she knows what she's doing. Right. And when she's wrong, she does admit it. She's like, I misled you. I did it. But like, are you really going to end this over something that happened 10 years ago? And the answer is yes. And the answer is yes, and, and, it's, and it's heartbreaking. And just to swing back to talk about Kevin Smith's growth uh, and, and the character of Hooper, how far ahead 
of his time is is Hooper. The conversation that he has with uh, Holden later in the record store about being a minority and a minority and a minority. You know, and then and then immediately when he sees the kid, he he shifts back into that stereotype that he has to be the thing that he has to uh, play that public persona that he has to put out there in order to sell books. He just swings right into it. You know, that he has to be versatile because he is a minority and a minority and a minority. It's 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 fascinating, you know, to to see what Kevin Smith was able to do coming out of Clerks. Coming out of Mallrats, which are, you know, admittedly juvenile movies, and then to take this giant leap and and make this film that has so many different and and wonderful themes and things that people needed to hear in 1997, and here we are 20 in 2020 in the middle of so many different movements that Kevin Smith was way ahead of. We had never seen anything like this in the 90s. Things weren't talking, nobody was talking about this in the 90s. And if you think about the most popular things back in the day, you said David Schwimmer was the pitch for this. Uh, Friends, you look at Friends now, notoriously transphobic, notoriously homophobic. Like Friends was not nearly as liberal as we all assumed it was in the 90s. Um, It's fascinating. These conversations hadn't happened, we'd never heard them. And I remember being in high school and talking to friends that had seen this movie when it came out. And uh, they were like, yeah, I went to see Chasing Amy, and it really made me feel things that I didn't go there to feel. I remember somebody <laughs> telling me that before I had seen it, and then I saw it, and I was very moved and very confused by it. And we can tell the audience, all 17 of our listeners, uh, I was in a period of defining my own sexual identity. Sure. And I'd only been inundated with media that was uh, AIDS-phobic, where everything wanted to talk mm. about the AIDS crisis right. or movies that were coming out stories that created very clear boundaries. Be like, I was straight and now I am gay. And when you're in a period of questioning, having only those two elements to gravitate towards is confusing. And then a movie like Chasing oh, Amy comes out where it's like, it's a gay girl and she's not just gay. She's complicated and she's fucked up a lot and she's at peace with it. Without knowing, Kevin Smith uh, really helped facilitate my, the development of my own personal sexual identity. And I wonder if there's wow. a lot of queer kids out there that saw this movie in 1997 and that's the first time they saw somebody that was, she's queer and she's different and she's cool yes. and she's sexy she's mad cool. and she can fight so and she can hold her own. Absolutely. She doesn't give a Oh, no, it's it's spectacular. And honestly, for me, this movie's specifically special because I didn't know a woman like that could exist. I'd mm. never seen it before. I didn't know somebody's wow. sexual identity could exist on that plane. I'd never seen it before. And now these are things that we know to be true, right? Absolutely. And just Kevin Smith, woke before woke was woke. Cold, hard facts. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very cool. No question. Now, when I saw this movie... In 1998, I want to say, I was I was fast asleep <laughs> at the wheel. You know, I saw these I saw these two guys, and you know it was it was Ben Affleck and Jason Lee, who I didn't really understand were Ben Affleck and Jason Lee. You know, at the time, I just saw like two cool, you know, rowdy guys out partying, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And admittedly, when the the turn that the the thing takes at the end made me so uncomfortable i i was like oh wait a second he's gonna fuck his friend just so he can have his girlfriend no he should just tell his girlfriend that she can't do these things anymore or you know that that he he doesn't really care because he's too cool for this and watching it last night when i rewatched it again and i got to the end and it took the turn i was like wow this poor man he's so He's so beat up inside and he's got so many internal struggles that he is going to put all of that onto his two, the two people that he cares about most in the world. Wow. So it went from 20 years ago, this uncomfortable, you know, awful feeling inside of me to a feeling of, wow, empathy and not necessarily pity. I think just straight empathy for, I know what that's like, man. I know what it's like to be hurt and to try to 
put it on to somebody else, but take a breather, go smoke a cigarette, and sit down and figure your shit out. Like he tells Banky, you got to deal yeah. with this. You know, the irony is, is he needs to do absolutely. This. Do you know what's fascinating about that scene in particular? Is that he again walks in with his usual bravado. He is mm. so sure that this is the thing, and making his entrance again with his usual. I'm flair. so happy you took it there. I thought about it, and I was like, I'm just going to set this up for CJ and see if he just takes <laughs> takes it over over the net for me. Um, yep. Here's the thing, though. He makes this bold suggestion to them, and he's like, "We need to have sex with each other." And it kind of comes out of left field. I remembered, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, and I remembered that that's where the scene goes. One thing I noticed on this rewatch that I just did was Alyssa actually says, don't do it. Or don't say it. Don't yeah. do it. Don't, don't say, say it. it. Don't say it. Because she knows, she knows. Because he's so, it's, I, and I don't know if it's because he's so basic or because she knows him so well or it's probably both. She's like, mm-hmm. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, and you know reading Catcher in the Rye, you know that Holden is going to say those things too. You know that he's going to get bored and, you know, be upset with people for being truthful and honest with him. You know, it's 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 perfect. Again, the parallels there, they're just there and they're they're right in front of us. Now, something that didn't age well for me about this movie. You ready for this? I am. There are still some very inappropriate things about exposing children to sexual material and uh, sexualizing young schoolgirls tra- like Banky and Banky has the, both the, of those moments the train station yeah the train station and the Catholic schoolgirls on the corner yeah mm-hmm. you yeah, you know exactly which yeah. two scenes I'm talking about and in watching it I was yep. just like that's interesting and I, thank goodness we're in a world where scenes like that won't be played for laughs anymore Right. We, we played them for laughs, and I have to say, in 1997, I laughed. That was what sure. culture was. That was what we did. Absolutely. And uh, looking at it now, as a, as a grown-up with nieces and nephews, I, I cringed so hard. I was like, oh, yeah. my God, you can't show that magazine to that little boy. And then he's like, I kind of want to have kids. Kids are cool. It's played as such an offhand side joke. And Yeah. Do you, do you think that there – do you think Kevin had any intention of, of shining a light on that? Of how cringy and you know, gross because, Banky was. Well, or just a, a sort of a, of society in general. I mean, when when uh, when Holden and Alyssa are first talking in the the bar, and Holden is is referencing the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. talking about um, you know I was an altar boy and I woke up next to priests, uh, etc. Do you think that 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 those scenes in particular could be a sort of commentary on that, or it was just like you said, let's play it for laughs let's let's put a porno mag in a in a kid's hand and let's you know talk about i wish i had dated more catholic school girls do you know what's fascinating i'm happy you asked this question because that is something that i had not stopped to consider that it was intentional i just cringed because i'm in such a place now of taking in movies i love from my childhood and having to process them and accept that they said and did some things that were bizarrely incorrect but perhaps that is another element of him showing us how clueless Banky really is. Yeah, and how if you don't if you don't deal with that shit inside of you, it's gonna manifest itself in ways that are much, 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 much worse hmm. if you catch my drift. On a lighter note, uh, did you feel old when you saw all of those magazines? Because porn is just so accessible now. <laughs> And I remember when you used to have, you used to have to have your stash, man. You used to have to have the stack. To answer your question, <laughs> uh, I feel old when I get out of bed in the morning, you know, because <laughs> all of the pain in random places. And I'm like, how did that get there? Jesus Christ! But no, I I felt I felt a little nostalgic actually. You know, when when porn was just that when it was just porn when it wasn't so accessible when it wasn't kind of you know on the internet and ready ready to go when you actually had to like go to the store and pick up the magazine and afraid a that you were going to get carded you know or b that you couldn't get it out of the plastic fast enough both completely valid concerns it's really fascinating the relationship 
with sexuality and pornography and when you take all these elements in this movie and like put them in right now and how they seem like dinosaurs all of those things one thing that's fascinating about this movie is when Banky is fighting with Holden when he draws the crosswalk with the hundred dollar bill in the middle yes the figment of your imagination that that's that's rough that's really really rough and it's that's really rough it's it's right after that cute little dating montage so like the movie kind of like lifts you up and then Banky is not having it and he tries to break it down for him and he breaks it down for him in a way that he he believes this is factual like yeah like when you see that dark side of him yeah it's nice it's it's i believe it's the filmmaker turning the mirror on society it's saying this is what you idiots think but then we have this moment where he says that they start dating they have their whole thing banky freaks out right the movie happens and then the finger cuffs discovery happens and banky doubles down and goes on an aids hysteria rant he uses another tactic he sure does. and it's just fascinating that banky after criticizing holden for being too conservative not criticizing basically telling him you're too conservative to hang becomes it's never gonna work becomes more and more conservative to drive them apart and you watch him mm. spiral and his progression from like lesbians are hot this is hilarious slow clap big smile I'm just going to stare at them making out and we're going to share our battle scars because that's cool. We both like ladies. This is awesome. To you got to stay away from my friend. That you must have an agenda. To you don't know what she has. He yeah. uses all of those tricks. Yeah, he spirals. You're absolutely right. He just spirals down. It's, it's a dark path. You know, it's, it's, it's jealousy. It's fear of loss. It's a lot of the things that, quite frankly, are the reason that we have such a religious problem in this country. Fair. You know, people look at look at the the wholesome family values and and let's talk about you know a, a godless society and and all that is is you're just afraid. You're just afraid of loss. You're afraid of of your way of life being you know destroyed by somebody else what somebody else does behind closed doors nothing to do with you has absolutely nothing, nothing to, do, to with do with you and and taking nothing away from you nothing at all you know in banky's case yes he does he does fear that something is going to be taken away from him he doesn't find out until the last scene what that might be but you know it's it's a perfect like i said it's 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 just the filmmaker putting the mirror on society and saying hey this is how you guys behave. And how do you feel about that? You and know? not only does he say, hey, this is how you guys behave. He puts the mirror up in front of three people that are so cute, so fun, so interesting. And it's like these yeah. three people have a darkness in them. And it's not okay. Not and okay. that's one thing that the movie does so successfully. You fall in love with these people and realize they are terrible in a lot of ways. Yeah battered broken and they love each Demons. other they love each other so much i will tell you yeah. this that scene after the painting after the rain sequence which is iconic it, amazing it is it's so it's good what it is um when banky walks in and he sees the apartment just completely destroyed what the hell did they do what did they what do, they do? how yeah, how far? And and that weed plant, uh, that weed uh, lamp, is in the other corner of the room. It's nowhere near the sofa. What did they do? That's on the floor. There's paint. There was paint everywhere. Yeah, like there was yellow paint on them. Um, yeah, that was just. I mean, maybe you know, maybe what Banky said earlier is true. Like Alyssa was just ready for some real deep dicking, <laughs> and that's and it, it and things went off the rails. And that's how it manifested itself. And Holden, you know, I know what it's like to be, for lack of a better term, blue balled by a person. Mm. And then you finally, you know, it's finally going to happen. You know, I've never really like knocked over a sofa or, or felt the need to paint myself, but I could see how it could get off. They the got wild. And, and after a diner, yeah. they weren't even wasted. They were just at a diner. Yeah. And a, a diner in New Jersey, unless, you know, unless they were having Taylor eggs and ham. 
which can really get the endorphins going if I do say so myself. I just always wondered what went down there and what happened off panel. Um, contrast that with the next time we see them being intimate and they're bathed in the blue light. Oh my he's, god, that's He's scene. got the ashtray on his hip. First of all, this movie made smoking so sexy. Smoking, smoking was, was so sexy in this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I was into my fifth year of being a smoker at this point. I, I started smoking so. after this film, but uh, it is my reference of why smoking is sexy. How she's just ashing with the ashtray on his hip and they're all snuggled up together. And they're talking about how they feel about each other. Like, didn't you want to feel that love? Didn't you want to have that scene with somebody? Uh, it's beautiful. I, I did, and I turned my mind back into all of the lovers that I've had before. <laughs> Listen to me, <laughs> all of the lovers. I haven't had that many lovers. I mean, I've had some lovers, but I've, I, I did. I, I just thought about you know the first couple of times, you know, the first few moments like this that you have when either the the light is off or the light is low, and they're on your chest or you're on theirs, and you're just you're talking and you're 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 thinking, oh my god, I just had sex with this person and she's not gonna leave and and we're just gonna sit here and we're gonna talk all night and it's just gonna be amazing. I mean, you, you, the viewers can't see the smile that's on my face because it's such a wonderful moment, those first few moments that you really start to share that post-coital intimacy with someone. And the things that she's saying, she is fulfilling every notion that he has, everything that he wants. You know, it, it's, you know, as a straight man, who once dated a lesbian I can tell you that what you were talking about earlier is real you think to yourself ah I turned this person you know and you're so involved with that and you're so lost in that cloud that you don't realize that it's July and you're in summer stock and that girl's going back to her girlfriend at the end of the summer that is so real whether you like it or not you know that is so real What's funny is after that blue afterglow moment is when uh, the finger cuffs discovery happens. So we only get that one moment of them being that in love. And it's so funny. There's just the little 90s dating montage. Their witty banter on the, on the swing set, the ski ball, and that little moment. That's the only time we see them being happy. The rest of it is either getting to know each other or breaking up. Yeah. Speaking of ski ball... Gottlieb, the arcade maker, is also, I believe, the name of the person who wrote the Jaws screenplay. So we've got our another Jaws reference there at the ski ball date. But no, you're right. And and you know because it's a movie that something's going to go wrong, right? Like every movie I watch, I try not to let that optimism of like, hey, everything's going to be okay. Like Jack Bauer's daughter is not going to get kidnapped. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> But you know, you know that someone's going to do something to fuck this up. Yeah. Well, it has to. That's, that's, that's how these romance stories work. And you want them to get right. together at the end. But you know they're just too complicated. And it's really, really not going to happen. But I didn't know. And even last night, like I, I, I didn't re really remember how this thing ended. And I was so pulling for the kids. I was like, come on, you guys. You can do this. I know. And you know what it is? It's really sad when you watch it as a grown man because it's it's him. We can put it all on him. It's all him. We can put it all on him. It's all she, him. She really, she apologizes and she opens herself up to forgiving him. And even that blow up. Puts, his, puts her head on his chest. Puts her head on his chest and you're like, this is it. It's going to yeah. be fine. We're going to be good. And he says, I can't. No. He just can't do it. And I don't understand it. And every time I watch it, I want him to change his mind. Yeah. Yeah, just, and just going back to uh, before they got into the parking lot, that another great piece of filmmaking with the hockey game. The parallel fighting? The, the tension that's building, and then, yeah, I did. I fucked him while Oli blew, you know, I blew him while Oli fucked yeah. me. And then the bang and the blood and the, oh, the sports metaphors. You know me, I was just, like, losing my mind there. Uh, just brilliant filmmaking. Again, kudos, Kevin. So good. Great Rick Darris reference. Rick Darris, he is a troublemaker in this world. Rick Darris has some STDs. Like, that man... Yes. Yeah, and he's delivering Just all over the place. Basis. What's funny is... Like, Rick Darris just fucked another person. Just now. Just while while, we, we're while talking, we've been having this, this conversation. Like, Rick Darris has had sex maybe twice. 
just give, just delivering the D all over the place. Yeah. And he had Joey Lord Adams twice. Sure did. Once as Gwen. He sure did. Once as Gwen and once as Alyssa Jones. It's fascinating. We get we get some good references at the back end of this movie. He does a, he does another dump of like universe references. He gives you a Rick Darris. He gives you a Gwen Turner reference. He gives you a Shannon, Shannon Hamilton reference. Yeah. It, yeah. The quick stop, the monologue where Banky finds out about the finger cuffs is in the parking lot of the quick stop. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So good. Question for you. Yeah. Do you feel like the fight that they have about her having a threesome is basically your adult, heartfelt version of the 36 Dicks fight? Yes, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. It's, again, you know, we talked about it when we, when we covered Clerks, but it's that, it's that notion, that, of that human notion of like, I need to be the only person. I need to be the only one. I need to, you know, I, I, this person can't have sex with anyone but me. You know, and that's so real. It's so real. And and for him to, to lose it and to, to A, not come out and just ask her about it, you know, like Hooper tells him, you know, the, the, the gay best friend is like, yo, just, just ask her. It'll be yeah. fine. No, he doesn't pay any attention to that. He does the male thing. Forgive me, all men out there that are listening, but we do this. It's a thing that we do. We don't ever want to just be frank. We want to, like, find a cute little clever way to, you know, for I guess for lack of a better term, gaslight someone, yeah. right? To be like, oh, well, this is this is your fault. This is not... I'm not responsible for this, this argument that we're having. You did this. I, I digress. I love how she guides that conversation, too. As soon as he starts, she's like... She she's knows. Like, yeah, what was his name? Oh, I don't remember. Like, she wants to know how much he knows. Yeah, and if he's going to be a real, you know, douche about totally. it. Totally. And the, to use all of that passive-aggressive subtext in public. And in public. what does the guy say around him? He's like, God, it's clear as day. <laughs> like, it was so obvious. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty clear what she was getting at there, bro. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, no, it hurts. It, it hurts watching that. He also says the horrible thing at the end of that fight when he's like, I want us to be a normal couple normal couple. oh that hurt my heart so bad and it hurt yeah, her too she looked word. she looked really hurt she was like oh come on man yeah what does that even mean what is what does that even mean pal you know where are you going with this where's your where's your head at mess we should talk about this jane silent bob cameo this is the first time that jane silent bob are not in the movie really They're it's a total cameo no we're exp we're just letting kevin smith have a movie. Right. And then Jay and Silent Bob, who you've seen in imagery, so you understand there's a connection, they actually meet him at the diner to get their money for, what is it? It's a likeness rights. Yeah, NIL. Name, image, likeness. Yeah. So good. Yeah, and he says, where did, where did a pothead like you or whatever he, whatever he calls him learn about likeness rights <laughs> it's so good <laughs> um, I love I love how Jay Jay has a really great moment with the waitress when he calls her Flo and says kiss my grits it's so good yeah you remember watching yeah, that show that Alice show did you ever watch that show love that shit <laughs> yeah so the chasing Amy monologue brilliant and just before we get into the chasing Amy monologue there's uh he says to Jay, what you don't know about me, you could squeeze into the Grand Canyon. That's a reference to a movie, an old Western movie. Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Yeah. That's, that's lifted straight out of that. Love that. So. so smart. So good. Yeah. So this monologue where he talks about how he went through basically the exact same experience or similar experience or comparable experience that Holden went through. Comparable experience. Comparable is the best word. Um, he went through a comparable experience that Holden did and he screwed it up just like Holden is about to. Yeah. And just like, just like anybody with jealousy issues has. Yeah. And it's something that I, I've, I've done it. It's a man thing. Sorry to all men out there again. But we do it. We let jealousy get the better of us and then we make these decisions and we hurt people because we're hurt. Right. Right, because we want to believe 
like Hooper says again in the, in the record store like, we want to believe that whatever is being done is being done for the first time with us and that is just not realistic it's impossible it's genuinely impossible absolutely especially as you get absolutely. older sure if you if you marry your high school sweetheart, there's there's a very good chance that everything that you guys do, you've only done it with each other, and every time is the first time. But that is just not possible. Like you said, it's it's unrealistic. Unrealistic expectations will destroy a, a human being. The way he wraps it up with "So I spend every day chasing Amy," so to speak. So to speak. <sighs> After the cig takes a drag of his cigarette. Don't forget, we got the, the cigarette, cigarette coolness oh, here such again. Such coolness. Put putting. It's like the, the, the absolute dopest semicolon. So, so I spend cool. every day chasing Amy. So to speak. Come on. So good. Come on. Guy's not even an actor. No, but... He's making the movie. It's so good. And, and watching that monologue, it really re takes us back to a place like we were at Clerks, where Silent Bob says something that is very relevant to the main character right now. He didn't really have that beat yeah. in Mallrats. No. No, not so much. But he was the hero of the story with the tape at the end. But, you know, Jay comes in right at the beginning of that scene, and he's like, what, when, uh, I think when Silent Bob first starts talking, and he says, uh, he says, what did you say? And Jay says, yeah, this tubby guy always tries to, you know, tries to think that everything that he says is going to be poignant somehow. And you're like, oh, that's a meta moment. Very good. Thank you. So, so good. Thanks for that, Jay. So somehow he takes this information from Silent Bob and he has that awkward threesome conversation, which culminates in what is my favorite line in the movie. And I live for Joey Lauren Adams really like talking to Holden, having this whole moment with him, being super emotional, and then slapping him across the face. Yeah. I love you, and I'll always love you. Boom. But I'm not your fucking whore. Not your fucking Woo! whore. She is yep. the coolest woman I've ever known. On the planet. And Holden, Silent Bob gives you this, this wonderful way to look at the situation that you're in. How does having a threesome, what, what from that did you garner having a threesome with your two mates was going to be the way to solve He's lost. it. He gives you the, he gives you the blueprint. He's like, I did this. I got jealous. I, all I have to show for this is foolish pride, you know, and, and a broken heart. And, and you're like, yeah, that, I think I should ask them to, to have sex with each He's other. He's clueless. No, you fool. All he has to do is forgive her. Yeah. And apologize. That's it. This can yep. be sorted in five minutes. Story of my life. I, is this really a meeting? I feel like we can sort this out in five minutes. Yeah, no. This is this is not this does not need to be a meeting. This can be an email. Yeah. You know, like you said, this can just be a. I'm sorry, and I forgive you for not being forthright with me. As we discovered, yeah. she didn't lie to him. She didn't. She didn't lie to him. Thanks for pointing yeah. that out. She wasn't forthright. Let's. And that's okay. Especially in the beginning of a relationship. And let's work on this because let's be real. If we're going to spend any significant amount of time together, I'm going to fuck things up a lot more. It'll right. get worse. Right. Absolutely. Let's, let's get in a rhythm of really listening to each other and accepting each other and forgiving each other. And he refuses to do that. He wants to create a solution that suits him. He wants to do what he wants that to suits do him. to feel better. He, absolutely. Holden. Oof. All Holden Caulfield had to do was just stay at school and get good grades or get better grades. You didn't even need to get good grades. Just get better grades. But no, he didn't want to do that. He wanted everything the way that he wanted it, you know, and that's why Mr. Caulfield ended up in an insane asylum or some kind of sanatorium and Holden McNeil ends up alone. So sad. How about this Comic-Con epilogue though? Heartbreaking. So heartbreaking and so well acted. First by Jason and Ben. Mr. Affleck and Mr. Lee. Opposite sides of the room. He, opposite sides of the room and the way that they communicate without talking. And when Jason does the little head nod, you know who's over there because movie. And then the way that he puts his fingers together, referencing the earlier sharing a moment, 
and just kind of shrugs a little, like, Maybe? Hey, maybe. Maybe enough time has passed. You guys can come back together and share that moment. The question is, do they? Well, in this moment when the movie comes out, we don't know whatever became of Alyssa and Holden. Right. This gets clarified later. 20 years later. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, everybody. But no, it's, 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 I think that's why this movie, for me, like sits so well. Because when he walks away, like I said, you're asking yourself, oh, maybe do they, do they get back together? Because that girl that's with her is just a friend. We've seen her before. We know that that's not a romantic relationship. Yeah. So you're hopeful. You're hopeful at the end of this movie that everybody's learned some things. Friends become enemies. Enemies become friends. It's the first time their banter is painful. Yeah. It's hard to watch them not be able to talk to each other because they've had such great chemistry and it's just off. And kudos to the actors for really making sure we know that they're both uncomfortable. Even though she, she references totally. the nun joke too. She references the right. nun joke from the right. beginning, but it's not, it's not the same. It never will be. No. Nope. And nope. the fact that... I was, I was still hopeful. Still hopeful. Still hopeful. Foolishly. But you know what crushed it for me? It's the who is that? Oh, just some guy I knew. Just some guy. And that hurts because you are somebody, some guy. Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. All of my ex-lovers. I'm just You're some just guy. Just some guy. You you will be you just inevitably some become somebody's just some guy. I have exes that they I have just some guys. You know? It's like it's just some guy. Yeah. There's this great there's guy. this great short play called uh, Philip Glass buys a loaf of bread and it's great because what they do is they take the text of the play and the composition of the piece is an homage to how Philip Glass composes music they just do it with text uh. and it's very very funny but uh, at the climax of the piece they say the lines do you know him do you know her yes I loved her once mm. And you, when you get to Oy. when you get to the end of that piece, it's literally you realize what you've just watched is he walked into a bakery, his girlfriend was walking out, and his friends like, "Do you know her?" And he's like, "Yeah, I loved her once." And it's I loved her once. And it was this it was this moment in the movie. She's like, "Oh, just some guy I knew." Oh my Ugh. goodness, my heart! Such yeah. a mature film from the guy that brought us Mallrats. Stunning. Yeah, and it's heartbreaking. It's stunning. It's heartbreaking, and it's funny, and it's poignant, and it's charming, and there's themes, and you know, it, it it tries to teach the audience a lesson. It tries, it shines the mirror on the audience. It's it's really, really good. It's really good. Love it. Let's hit our essential questions. What works for you? What works for me is is the themes. Mm -hmm. You know, is is it talks about bigotry and it talks about racism and it talks about you know lesbian and gay issues and it it talk it it talks about all those things and it, it homophobia it talks about that it, it puts it right up in the forefront and to to have most of those things you know be alive and communicated through banky who is a charming character so likable and i think that's so likable and i think that that is a really powerful statement made by the filmmaker to say, hey, you see that, you know, like we talked about earlier, hey, see this cool guy? He's kind of a bigot yeah. and a homophobe. And I'm going to tell you through the course of my story why. Why that could be. Why he feels these things. And it's because he has this stuff inside of him that he needs to work out. And you know what? It's okay that he needs to work it out. Because when he's signing books at the end of the play, at the end of the movie, you think that he has grown and he has changed and he has learned something. And so that, that's what works for me, is that we've got these characters who are really, really likable. And you know, in Mallrats and Clerks, those characters were also really, really likable. But the change and the growth, I think, happens tenfold in Chasing Amy versus those other films. I have to agree with you. Uh, it's just lots of very honest and frank conversations about sexuality in general and frank conversations about what sexuality meant when the movie came out and right. extrapolations on what it could mean 
through Alyssa. I think that really, really works well in this movie. And also, uh, they all grow because they all suffer loss. And it's each other. They lose each other. From their own misdeeds, they all contributed to losing each other. Yes. They have no one to blame but themselves. Yep, the three of them. It's, it's just a great, great story. What doesn't work for you? What doesn't work for me is when Holden and Alyssa are playing darts... I got men in the women's room and women in the men's room. <laughs> so I'm kidding. Obviously. Obviously. But thank you for clarifying. Just wanted to point just wanted to point out that I saw that. Yeah. I saw that on my uh, on the rewatch here. You know what, Andrew? I, I there isn't there isn't a lot that doesn't work for me in this movie. Especially, you know, watching it now. I I just it was an hour and change and it, it I watched it go by and I was like wow at the end I said that is a really great movie I think it's aged pretty well you know we, we did discuss the sexualization of young women and putting sexual themes onto young boys with the magazine and the Catholic schoolgirls. but you know other than no I really can't think of a lot of things that I can talk about with, with what works what, what didn't work what didn't work for you you said it the only thing that doesn't work for me is uh, the dirty mags with the boy at the train station and the sexualizing the Catholic schoolgirls on the corner those are the only things that really made me cringe and made me uncomfortable but after our discussion uh, maybe they were supposed to you know mm, maybe that wasn't sure. just being super 90s like a lot of movies like I mean, I just think about movies like American Pie. My goodness, all of those children would be arrested for their behavior in that movie now. Oh, my you know, gosh. So there's some 90s things. American Pie. There's wow. some 90s things that happen in this movie, but maybe that those two moments aren't 90s things. Maybe that's just supplemental material for what we're going to learn about banking. I got I to gotta believe that they are, especially with, you know, like I said, the conversation that, that Holden and Alyssa have about the Catholic Church in general. Yeah. You know, that, that feels that feels intentional to yeah, me. Cool. Looking back now. Well, I learned something today. What did you learn today? No, that, what you just said. I just learned that. No, okay. I know. I was I, <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to make it a thing. I was trying to make it a thing that we can maybe implement, you know, in later episodes. We can. Speaking of implement can I interrupt real quick and introduce a new segment? Wait. Yes. That I would like to have. By all means. Forth? Let's call it what did we miss? Can I do that? Can I sing that? I think so. Can I so. call it what did we miss and also sing that? Anyway, I'm good. I just you did, did it. it. What did we miss? When we were discussing the Death Star speech that Randall has with Dante in Clerks, we missed a golden opportunity to let the audience know that I think when Han Solo finds out that Finn was a janitor in The Force Awakens, Star Wars Episode Seven, I think that that had everything to do with Randall talking about contractors and civilians, etc., being on the Death Star. I think that's a callback to Clerks. I think J.J. Abrams was repping Clerks hard in that part of his storytelling in The Force Awakens. You know what? Saw Force Awakens, missed that, so happy you brought it up, and I have to say, J.J. Abrams is the perfect age to have that conversation, to do that. And he's such a pop Absolutely. culture guy. There's so many things. No question. No question. That's actually really, really great. I could see that. Well, Make, making Finn a janitor had everything to do with Clerks. And connecting it to just, what we know about the custodial department on the Death Star. That's right. That's and right. then he doubles down. Wait! He doubles down. Because it's clarified later that Finn did not choose to be on the Death Star. He did not. He did not choose to be, well, not on the Death Star, on... Um, Star Destroyer? What is it called? No. Uh, Star Killer Star Base. Star Killer Base. Star Terrible Killer Base. Name. It is just the Death Star. It is just the Death Star. And shame on you, Force Awakens, for just regurgitating A New Hope. That's a whole other story. We'll get but that. That has been this sub-episode of What Did We Miss? Well done, sir. Uh, should we move on to the special award? Yes, please. My special award goes to Kevin Smith and the movie Chase and Amy for two 
seamless Star Wars references. He he got the Star Wars references absolutely right on this one. In the first scene with Hooper talking about the Holy Trilogy, and you know exactly what he's talking about before he says it. And when Holden says at the end of their conversation with I'll try and Kevin and Silent Bob says try not do or do not there is no try to be able to drop the most iconic Yoda line in the history of movies and Star Wars movies to be able to just seamlessly drop that one in there that's a special that's my special award well done I love that great special award my special award is the award for presaging pansexual positivity. Mm. Tell me about it. We love Alyssa. You walk away from that movie loving Alyssa. And you really get on board with her. And even when she screws up, she apologizes. She is grounded and cool. Even when her friends shun her. She just owns it. She misleads them. Her instinct yeah. is to mislead them like she misled Holden. Yeah, but once they get on her, she's very, she's she's accepted it, and she tells him, you know, even well, my friends have ostracized me, and now I have all this time on my hands, and it's like, oh, she's gonna be okay with that. That's not the reason that this thing is gonna fail. Yeah. She's great. She's great, and yep. uh, we had never seen a pansexual hero. Right. And I think Alyssa Jones right. should be retroactively regarded as one of the early pansexual heroes. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I love her. And great, great special award. Thank you. Desert Island top five status. It's so close. Right? Almost makes it. It's, oh, it's almost so makes it, but I don't close. need it. And you, yeah, you really want it to be there, but no, no. If I'm, you know, I'm going to have to take a romantic comedy onto the desert island with me, but it, for me, it just doesn't, it doesn't get quite near when Harry met Sally. You know, spoiler alert, when Harry Met Sally is my desert island. It definitely is on my desert island five. That's the quintessential romantic comedy for me. Really? But, yo, yeah. Not Sleepless in Seattle. No. Ostensibly a no, better Sleepless film. Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, absolutely. And Sleepless in Seattle makes me cry. Great movie. Like, I, I weep. I weep when I watch Sleepless in Seattle. And if I'm stuck on a desert island, like, I ain't got time to cry. I feel that. Like, I, like, my life is shit as it is, you know? Like, I need to not... Because Sleepless in Seattle and that kid and those two together... Oh, no, it's 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 amazing. But, like, no. When Harry Met Sally, for me, is the one, like, the feel-good romantic comedy. The scene in Cats is... Come on. We're doing a podcast called Icon or Wycon. That is the most iconic scene in romantic comedy history. So I got to take When Harry Met Sally. But being... The age that I am and, you know, watching this film when I did, it's so, it gets so close. It's almost there. It, it gets closer than any of the, the other films that we've discussed. It really is almost there. But uh, again, it's, it's something that, like, I dust off the DVD and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I love that. And I'm so happy that I went back to rewatch and it, its reputation in my heart wasn't tarnished. You know, I still nope. enjoyed it. Nope. I still thought it was super funny. I still thought it was super complicated and challenging. And loved it for it. Sure. Icon or Wycon? Sure. It's an it's icon. It's absolutely an icon. For me. Hands down. It's an icon. So special, so yeah, unique. No question. And such a leap for him. Such absolutely. a solid and, film. And such a solid film. And and he's got he's got it, you know, he's got the, the amazing Matt Damon cameo, which we haven't even touched. Oh, <laughs> we skipped right over that. Just skip right over that. You know, and uh, the actor, the actor that played Dante, he plays that character in this film. It's the third film in a row where his last name is Hicks. You know, and he's fantastic. The the story is fantastic. The, I keep I keep harping on it, but the themes in this movie are fantastic. That tries to teach us a lesson, which is fantastic. And it's just, you know, it's just a movie that you say chasing Amy. Oh my God, love that movie. It was so good. Also, a really good showing for moody piano music. <laughs> <laughs> Which we know you love. Love some moody piano music. Here for it, not afraid of it. Always. And yeah. anytime I'm watching a movie, I'm like, huh, is that, is that, is that, is that moody piano? That's a little moody, moody, moody piano. Thanks for, uh, thanks for dropping the dinner. That's a good choice. Because let's be real. 
even the movie The Firm finds some time for some moody piano music. Ooh, the fir- I mean, I feel like that's, for me, that's where I first noticed moody piano music, when I watched The Firm. The score is all moody piano that's music. That's the first time, the first time I heard ah. it. Yeah. Well, it plays the whole movie. <laughs> Such a good score. <laughs> you remember it! It's iconic! Yeah. <laughs> ah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. CJ, this has been Absolutely. fun. I feel like this was a very successful digest of Chasing Amy. I look forward to our next episode, where we will talk about what is ostensibly a premature victory lap for the Vios universe. Absolutely. But we'll rewatch it and we'll let you know if that is indeed the case. All right. That sounds like a plan. CJ, this has been fun. It's always is a great pleasure. And I'll see you next time. Hey! Hey!